Welcome everybody. It's the second full day, the end of the second full day of practice. And uh, all kinds of things might be happening. We had some things happening just a little while ago. We thought we were going to have a serious emergency <coughs> because um, it seemed like the septic was completely blocked. Where th was that? Did you say that announcement was made? Oh, good. So you know it's not news to you. Um, I, I have an admission to make that before these talks, um, I often get a little nervous. I don't feel too badly about that because I remember reading that um, Frank Sinatra, and I hope all you know who he is, he was my mother's <laughs> favorite singer, um, used to uh, be so nervous before every performance he actually threw up. So I can tell you that I did not throw up. <laughs> I'm not that nervous. I'm not too nervous. And the other thing that made me feel really a little nervous was the thought of having a blocked septic tank <laughs> and <laughs> only two toilets to go to, or maybe three, for all of us. That would have been really something. I, I started envisioning digging holes in the property, but I didn't think that that would be welcomed, even though I'm an experienced backpacker. So anyway, um, tonight I'm going to speak a bit about um, speech. And in Buddhist practice, it has a really important place. It's mentioned in all of the suttas, not all of the suttas, all of the um, books of the Pali Canon, different teachings, different ways that the Buddha shows um, the importance of wise speech and ways of working with it. So wise speech is sometimes the translation. Sometimes it's right speech. I don't like that one at all. It seems it sets up a dichotomy, right and wrong. Um, the word is sama, S-A-M-M-A. And the meaning of that is more aligned, aligned with. And you can picture something being in alignment. And what is it aligned with? It's aligned with liberation. That's a big word. It's aligned with freedom. That means freedom from suffering. So is that possible? Well, Aligned is a little bit like the pointer in the compass. It's going to guide you the right way. So the question always is to ask what's skillful, what's not skillful? What's leading you toward liberation, what's not? You know, speech is very complicated. We're so gifted, really, as human beings to have this ability. Although I sometimes think it would be much easier to be another kind of mammal that didn't speak. Um, it allows us to, to use words. It allows us to communicate. It allows us to think in a different kind of way. It's really an amazing gift, but it's also completely abused and misused. And so we might as well recognize that and recognize the capacity we all have to use it well and to use it poorly. 
So I'm going to tell a story. I hope to weave in a few stories in this. This happened, I think, nine years ago. I was taking a walk. I live in the Santa Cruz Mountains, so I was taking a walk up some roads that are very close to the one we live on. And um, one of the houses along this road had about four dogs who lived there. And they would come out kind of charging, being pretty aggressive. And sometimes they were really quite aggressive. So I used to carry a stick with me, like a walking stick almost. I didn't have any intention of hitting them. I just knew it would help me keep my distance. So one day I was walking up and the owners, who I knew they were the owners, were walking down with the dogs. And I was a little nervous because dogs act a little differently with their owners, especially if they want to protect them. So they were in back and their dogs charged down toward me and started surrounding me in what felt like, not a totally, but a somewhat menacing way. And the man said, oh, don't worry. They're just being friendly. (laughs) I've heard that a number of times. And I said, no, I don't think they're being friendly. And that was like a spark that ignited a fire. He got, he was furious. Don't, he, he said, I'm trying to think if this is the first thing he said. Don't you touch my dogs. And I said, I, I just, I carry this stick for my own protection. He said, if you ever touch my dogs, if you ever hit them, it'll be the last day you live, my friend. I was shocked, to say the least. I don't think I really thought he was going to do any harm. At least he threatened it was going to be the next time. (laughs) But but I was just kind of amazed, amazed. Um, And so I said, I don't really think you mean that. And I said, I I had to say this. I said, I work with men who have done things like that in the prison system. I don't really think you want to end up like that. And he didn't say a word. He just continued down the road. Um, Afterwards, I felt like, what did I add to this? What did I add? Because I didn't actually think I was blameless. And I added the spark. It wasn't just what I said there was some, some punch in it. There was some emotional juice. And he might have been wrong, but it didn't take much. It didn't take much to light the fire. And that's the way anger is. It's just like a conflagration. So um, I actually reported him to the sheriff, who never did anything. And actually, they'd had some other report about him. Um, But I did decide to write a letter. I didn't want to leave it at that. I didn't want to leave it with this unsettled energy. And so I wrote a letter um, saying that I'm really sorry this incident took place. Um, I don't mean your dogs any harm. I only want to protect myself. 
And if there's any way you can help me befriend your dogs, I'd be really glad to know. And I gave him my cell phone number. I never heard from him. I did see him a few more times, but there was no, no threat or anything like that. Um, I'm telling the story because, of course, it's related to speech. And, um, and I'm, I'm going to say a few things about guidelines for speech and then kind of talk about what happened in regards to that. So there are the speeches in the precepts. We took that precept. For this retreat, it's to be silent. And you may actually wonder why I'm talking about something you can't do while you're on retreat, but there is some reason, actually. Um, But in your everyday life, it's to be wise and careful with your speech. And it means there there are some things are to be refrained from. And um, I'm going to tell you, though, the five marks of, of skillful speech. These are the things to cultivate. And these are the actual words and the contemplations that I've used that have been particularly helpful for me. And I think I've said a lot of times, I think I would have made a mess of that if it weren't for practice, you know, for some incident. And I would have made a mess of it particularly using a reactive pattern with speech. So this is what they are, and you've probably heard these. There are five things to keep in mind. Um, Bruce likes to use uh, acronyms. This could be an acronym. You can make it up yourself, though. But it's... (laughs) The first one is whatever you say should be helpful or beneficial. It should be skillful. Again, that, that sense of it should be leading to freedom. And if it's helpful, it's helpful... It's m- the opposite is it can't be harmful. It can't be harmful for you or anyone else. And so when we speak beneficial or helpful speech, it's not only helpful to us, it's helpful for others. But we have to evaluate this. If we're going to talk to somebody else, is it really going to be helpful? Is it just what we think might be helpful? The second thing is it has to be true. It has to be true. And this is difficult because sometimes we have assumptions about things. And that makes it maybe not quite true. Um, so it can't be false. It can't be false speech. It can't be lies. It can't be exaggerated. It can't be white lies. I found that to be a challenge. No white lies. If we think about it for a moment, a white lie often is told to save somebody else from feeling badly or to save ourselves from feeling uncomfortable. It's very difficult, but it's really important. If it's... This will... Uh, tie into the next characteristic. If it's um, a white lie, it either doesn't need to be said or you need to find a way to say it so that it's true. 
It's not easy. This is a good practice. The third characteristic we've had, helpful, true, is timely. This is really a big one. Set at the right time. You can have something that's true and helpful, but you haven't set it at the right time. The person can't hear it, or it follows some other verbal exchange too quickly, or the biggest one is that following some something, for instance, if you have had a difficult exchange with someone or a difficult experience and you want to talk about it and you're still feeling tense and, and nervous and upset about it or angry about it, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. You might have to wait a very long time. Um, the way I describe it is I don't want to feel any emotional juice. And actually, when we talk about feeling emotions, or uh, we haven't talked so much about that, but it's pretty much, Bruce mentioned, it's pretty much in this section of your body where all your vital organs are. That's where emotions are. And if I feel something going on, especially here for me, when I want to talk to someone or speak to someone, I just, I don't do it. I wait. So I'll tell you another story about waiting. I worked with a, a supervisor once, and um, there was an exchange where I felt belittled. And um, it was in front of some other people, too, so it felt really terrible. I was wounded. That's what it felt like. I felt very sad and very upset. And I knew this person wasn't a bad person, but I, I just was really upset with it. And I, I knew at some point I wanted to talk about it, but I knew I wasn't close to it. I wasn't close to it. I had to do a lot of work. I had a lot to do some internal searching, and I had to do meta for this person, and I was trying to, what I call, tell a story, meaning a good story, like, well, maybe, and um, knowing that, as I said, this was a good person anyway. So I think I waited about six months. That's a long time. And at that time, I did feel like I had worked it through, that there was no more emotional juice, and I could say something that was helpful for me and for this person, too. And it really turned out fine. So, timely. So, so far we have helpful, true, and timely. The next one is we're being instructed to use kind words, not bitter and harsh words. Bitter and harsh words can be demeaning. And um, kind words have to be also said with a heart of loving kindness. And what that means is that this is the mental part. This is the mental attitude. There's some knowing that, um, knowing what your intention is. 
What is my intention in speaking to this person? And that's not always easy to know. Sometimes our intentions are mixed, and that makes it difficult too. But really examining your intention and examining the attitude and the mind state. What's going on right now? How am I approaching this? Can I really feel some kindness or can I really feel some compassion or empathy for this, this person? So approaching it with non-hatred and non-ill will. The Buddha actually um, talked to his son Rahula about speech, about verbal acts. And basically he said, whenever you're about to commit, to do a verbal act, you should reflect, is this act I'm about to do or is this verbal act I'm about to do, will it cause affliction for me or for anyone else? Will it cause harm? And, um, and if so, it's not fit for you to do. But the same reflection, if this verbal act will be helpful, will be skillful for both you and, and others, then it's fit for you to do. And he not only says to reflect on it before, but in the middle. Have you ever caught yourself talking and in the middle of it you realize something's not going well? It does happen, and the Buddha would advise you to stop. So, in the middle, is this causing affliction for me or anyone else, or harm, or is it beneficial for me and everyone else? And the same thing at the end, the very same words. So what this does is it actually sets up a reflective pattern, which is very important. And by that I mean, sometimes it's called careful consideration. You contemplate, you reflect. It's very helpful when it comes to speech, especially. So these characteristics, being helpful, being true, being timely, spoken with kind words, and from the right attitude, the right intention, a heart of loving kindness, it said. Those are the things we reflect on before doing it. It sounds like a long list, doesn't it? It also sets up a very high bar of behavior. And actually we're being asked in a certain way to be exquisitely careful in our verbal actions and our actions as well. So I'm going to, I already told you what the Buddha said, but I'm going to just read a little bit from what his words were in case you're not familiar with the repetition. There's lots of repetition in the suttas. And that was because um, they were committed to memory 
by ear. There was no written word. Boy, when you think of that, it's a much less complicated wor world, isn't it? No writing, not much. Not much writing, not much reading. No road signs to clutter the way. Um, no internet, no cell phones, no texting or social media. Yeah, when you think of all the ways we're, we're flooded with words, it's pretty amazing. It's almost um, overwhelming at times. So we'll come back to that. But this is the Buddha. Whenever you want to perform a verbal act, you should reflect on it. This verbal act I want to perform, would it lead to self-affliction, to the affliction of others or both? Is it an unskillful ver verbal act with painful consequences, painful results? If on reflection you know that it would lead to self-affliction, to the affliction of others or to both, it would be an unskillful verbal act with painful consequences, painful results, then any verbal act of that sort is absolutely unfit for you to do. And then the second part of that is, but if on reflection, you know that it would not cause affliction, and he repeats everything again, it would be skillful verbal action with happy consequences, happy results, then any verbal act of that sort is fit for you to do. So it may not be that you are exactly going to do this every time you want to speak to someone, but if you have something you want to communicate with somebody, if you need to have a conversation, if you need to right some wrong, all of this time and energy for careful consideration is probably a good idea. You could remember what I said, that I would have made a mess of it without it. There's so many times. Um, I can remember one time of many. Um, working with my sister in terms of the care of my elderly mother, and she and my brother and I would all make decisions together, consensus. That's the way to do it. And um, we would make a decision, and I was long distance living in California. They both lived in the Midwest where my mom lived. And I'd find out like days later or a week later that she did something to stop the process. And um, it made me upset and I really wanted to talk to her, but I knew I couldn't. Because if I did talk to her at that time, feeling upset and wondering why she was being obstructionist, I would have made a mess of things. So that is called restraint. Sometimes you just can't react. Sometimes you just don't react at all. There there's stories of the Buddha not answering. And I hope you've experienced sometimes where you just didn't answer or you didn't react or you waited. Um, these are challenging things to work with. So I listed all those characteristics, the um, beneficial or helpful, true, 
timely, with kind words, and of loving kindness. And the Buddha, in one of the suttas, tells Prince Abhaya, what are the circumstances of using those words? And he goes through all of the possible combinations of those characteristics, like unfactual, untrue, unbeneficial, unendearing, and disagreeable. Well, he doesn't say anything then. But what comes what comes from this is that it's important for it to be true and beneficial, but whether it's um, pleasant or whether it's disagreeable or agreeable to the other person requires the right timing. So all of this isn't about saying wonderful things. Sometimes what you have to say is difficult, disagreeable. It's not what the person might want to hear. It might be what they need to hear. But then again, there's this, is this helpful to speak in this way and to speak of this thing. So that's timing. Timing. And as we know, um, speech is not in isolation, meaning your speech is not in isolation. It's actually for the purpose of communication. We used to, um, there were some times in the past when Insight Santa Cruz was called Vipassana Santa Cruz, and we had either two or three different weekends with a, a trainer from Ojai Foundation learning council practice. Very interesting. One of the things that the leader said is, real communication is a miracle. And it is. We might think we're communicating, but it doesn't come through. So that needs really careful preparation, communication. It requires listening, wise listening. That's the other part of wise speech. Some things I thought of that helped it be wise listening were not interrupting, not planning a response as somebody is speaking, not judging, just listening, being open, being curious. Uh, being curious is more important than being right. So a spirit of curiosity as somebody is speaking. And um, something that comes from council practice, this is, you won't be able to all see this, but I'm going to hold it up anyway. It's quite beautiful. It's a Chinese character. That means to listen. But it's not just to listen. It has a symbol for eyes, excuse me, ears, eyes, and undivided attention. I like that. Ears, eyes, and undivided attention. And in order to prepare for communication or for listening, especially listening, um, this is a, a quote from Annie Dillard. At a certain point, you say to the woods, 
to the sea, to the mountains, the world, now I'm ready. Now I will stop and be wholly attentive. You empty yourself and wait, listening. You wait. You give your life's length to listening. So imagine the gift of somebody's truly listening. We do this counsel practice in prison quite a bit. It's the main guiding principle we have. I also do this um, with the teachers who I work with and, um, and the parents who come to our school. And almost universally, the parents anyway say, that they, this has been such a deep experience to be listened to, truly listened to. So there are guidelines for deep listening. I'll say a few of them. I didn't plan to do this, but the first two are really important. Speak from your heart. Listen from your heart. And then there's, there are other ones too, but those are probably the most important. Speak and listen from your heart. And interesting, you know, in Asia they say when they talk about the mind, they point here, the heart mind, the citta. It's not the anatomical heart, but when we are asked to consider the mind, most of us would point up here, thinking of the brain. So it's an interesting combination, heart and mind, being fully attentive. And here's a quote from Sogyal Rinpoche. If we really listen, with a beginner's mind, we might really begin to hear. For if we listen with a silent mind, as free as possible, from the clamor of preconceived ideas, a possibility, a possibility will be created for the truth of the teachings to pierce us. And this is from another Tibetan master. The more and more you listen, the more and more you hear. The more and more you hear, the deeper and deeper your understanding becomes. And if we are to speak with others, if we are to have communication, then understanding is something that we should aim for, or we could aim for. So one of my first motivations for doing this was thinking about the election. And um, how much speech played a part in that. I think it's a perfect opportunity for all of us to practice. For one thing, I think um, there's the question one could ask, what do you do if somebody attacks you verbally? or insults you, or belittles you, or any of those things. And I noticed 
during the election that there was a lot of what we would call unskillful speech. A lot of blaming, a lot, a lot of harsh, bitter words, a lot of slander. And all of this really leads to fear and anger. And it certainly was expressed. Lots of anger and lots of fear. Um, so this isn't new. I don't mean just in our political climate. This has been happening from the beginning. That's why the Buddha set out some guidelines. But, um, but how are we to react to that? What do we do? How do we respond instead of react? So, um, again, going back to the suttas, um, this was in a sutta called the Parable of the Saw. And they're saying if people speak to you that's timely or untimely, true or false, gentle or harsh, with a good or harmful motive, all those things that we've just been talking about, um, and with a loving heart or hostility. In this way, monks, he was speaking to the monks, you should train yourself thus. Neither shall our minds be affected by this, nor for this matter shall we give vent to evil words, but we shall remain full of concern and pity with a mind of love, and we shall not give in to hatred. On the contrary, we shall live projecting thoughts of universal love to that very person, making him, as well as the whole world, the object of our thoughts of universal love. Thoughts that have grown great, exalted, and measureless. We shall dwell radiating those thoughts which are void of hostility and ill will. In this way, monks, you should train yourself. Again, a pretty high bar. Somebody speaks with hostility, ill will toward you. Mm, I didn't quite, I, I didn't immediately react that way when it happened to me, as you recall. I felt very wounded and was kind of doing a poor me. But um, I think in time, I was working toward this. So this is not to say that this is how we're going to behave or should behave every time. It's something to contemplate. Is this possible? Is it pos possible not to hate? Um, you know, there's the practice of metta, of loving kindness. And I like to think of it more because it's spoken this way in a lot of the suttas is the practice of non-hatred and non-ill will the decision to make that no matter what happens, I won't put more hatred or ill will out there. So we'll see why that might be. That also takes place in some stories. And um, here's another part. I won't read the whole thing from the, uh, the parable of the saw. It gets pretty extreme in terms of the same thing, having no ill will for anyone, having very high, high um, ability to see, still see them with kind regard. 
even if bandits were to savagely sever you limb by limb with a double-handled saw, <laughs> even then, whoever of you harbors ill will at heart would not be upholding my teaching. I might react. <laughs> if someone were sawing me apart, I probably would react. <laughs> but he said that maybe I don't understand his teaching <laughs> well enough. That's very possible. Um, so the same thing. In this situation, you should train yourself that you won't give in to hatred and ill will. And you know, there's some real-life stories, or vile words, and there's some real-life stories of that sort. You know, some of the Tibetan monks that were um, captured and tortured by the Chinese when they invaded Tibet actually were put through incredible tortures. And a lot of them who came through said their biggest fear was losing their ability to feel compassion for their captors. Part of that is based on the understanding that all of these things, the ill will, the hatred, the abusive speech, the harsh speech, the bitter words, the lies, the slander, it's, it's um, harmful. It's harmful to the person doing it. And it's harmful to those who it's expressed against. Sometimes they say, you know, that anger is like holding a hot coal and throwing it at someone else and expecting it to burn somebody else. It might, but you will be burned first. It's harmful. It's harmful. So there's a um, mythic story that the Buddha tells, which is... Um, this mythic battle. This, I, I pictured this as a play. It would really be fun to act this one out because it's pretty dramatic. A mythic battle between the gods and the demons. And the gods had won. And so they brought the, the lord of the demon, um, the Sapicha, in from... They brought him in to see uh, Saka, the, the lord of the gods, and he was bound. His legs were bound, his arms were bound, and there was a rope around his neck. He didn't sound like he was um, probably a very happy camper. And what he did is he spewed out every kind of horrible abuse and threat and curse that he could as he came in. And um, Saka, the, the lord of the, the um, devas or the gods, didn't say anything or do anything. And his charioteer next to him was very upset about this. He said, what's wrong with you? Don't you see what he's doing? He's abusing you. You better do something about it. And um, he'll only understand something if you use a stick. That reminds me of my stick. <laughs> um, and and uh, Saka said, no, it's not true. I, I don't have to do that. He, um, he, he doesn't really know. He's, he's a fool. Um, he thinks, and so Metali uh, said, 
well, he's going to think that you're afraid of him. And he's just going to, that's going to increase his, his aggression. And then he's going to be like a bull, a bull elephant charging through. He said, I don't care if he thinks I'm weaker, basically. I know anger. I know it's harmful. And, um, and I know that basically by not fueling it, it's going to exhaust itself by not responding in any way, reacting in any way. There's nothing to respond to, nothing for him to react to after a while, the demon god. Um, so he understood the harm to himself and to, and to um, Wepachiti at the same time if he were to respond angrily or to do something that was aggressive. Um, and he also, as I said, was able to, would be able to extinguish this kind of anger by not responding. Also, he felt that patience was just the greatest thing that he could do, just be patient. He felt like he understood this demon god and where this anger was coming from and his mental dispositions and, and wasn't worried about it. He just, he wanted to... In, that, in the way of not responding in that sense and not igniting more, he was actually helping to heal him. And he actually held a greater vision, a really broader vision than his charioteer. The charioteer had the vision of power and restraint and punishment and felt that weakness emboldened him, emboldened the enemy. This sounds like our foreign policy. Uh-huh. And Saka had the broader view that had wisdom and patience and calm and forbearance. Forbearance. And of course he understood the danger, the harm to him and to himself from responding. So mindfulness is really important here. Mindfulness is what leads to freedom. It's the ability to respond rather than to react. And our freedom is in knowing that we don't have to react and instead we can respond. And it's also, it's um, the back, the attitude, that's a big part of it too, the attitude, the intention and um, is wanting to be compassionate. He didn't want to cause more harm. So I see it's getting a little late and I wanted to tell you another story because it's very much connected to this. Um, this is another road story. <laughs> um, we have a neighbor um, who changed the drainage on our road remember this is a mountain road steep, he decided to change his drainage which started undermining the road and it started washing dirt into a neighbor's um, into a neighbor's house. So uh, there was, I won't tell you any great detail except that there was a lot that went on between the road committee and him. He was, he's a very difficult person to deal with and um, we have been very careful about maintaining 
a friendly relationship with him. And he's been, you know, nice enough to us too. And um, he was uh, he was delivered a kind of a, a request that he change it back again. They'd already they were getting an engineer's report, and uh, they were going to have to change it. And he was furious. He was really angry. And it happened that um, Bruce was the deliverer of this. Um, piece of this information because he'd been so difficult to deal with with other people and Bruce volunteered because he had a good relationship with him and <coughs> because of that um, he, the neighbor was furi furious with Bruce and decided he was on their side we've got sides here now the enemy and the so we um, we decided at one point that we would like to talk to him he filled in part of the, 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 um, the remedy, part of the fix that the road people did. And we were worried because it was at the time where there was so much rain and a lot of water flowage over our road and it could wash, it had potential of washing out the road. So we called and asked him if we could meet with him. And um, <coughs> all of that, we have a little access road, all about six of us went to see him and as we're walking up to meet him he said get the hell out of my property don't you ever come back here again and we I said we said we're just coming to talk about it and he wanted us off his property so we went on to the road and <coughs> and then he went through a very long recitation of all the wrongs that were done to him and we just listened. We just listened, all of us. Actually, Bruce and I were in the forefront. The rest of the neighbors were going like that, a little nervous because he was pretty out of sorts. And um, I said at one point, he didn't want us to fix it. And there was this threat, again, of our road washing out. So he said, I don't care if it washes out. I don't care if you're stuck. I don't really give up about any of you. And I, I said, do you really mean that? Do you really want us to, you know, lose the road and lose our access? And um, are you sure that's what you want? And he was still yelling. And I said, don't you remember We've cared about you, and you've cared about us too. And, um, and he actually has. He's had some big challenges in terms of his health, and, and so have I. And so there has been a, there's been some caring back and forth. And so I, I just said, we, we've cared about each other. And I was reminding him kind of specifically of some of the things that he did. And I think just like um, like it exhausted it. Somehow the anger, the everything just was exhausted finally by that moment. And he said, okay, you can fix it. Meaning we can dig out the part that he filled in. And then he wanted to give me a hug. It was kind of amazing. And I was... You know, I felt really very touched by it.
So this wasn't planned ahead of time. There wasn't any time to decide how to do this. He was pretty irrational. I could have made it much longer. You should be happy I didn't. (laughs) 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 It was a pretty long process for us, too. But um, not just that day. But, you know, there are difficult people in this world, and there are difficult people you're going to work with in one way or another. And you don't always get to choose who lives next to you or, you know, anything like that. So I just, all I knew is it's really important to have good relationship with the neighbors. It's just too hard, you know, living where we do not to. Um, I didn't plan it. It happened. And I would have to say it happened because of practice. I could have made a mess of that too. Easily. Easily. And I didn't, and it had good results, but really, really, it was from a lot of time working with this. A lot, a lot of time. Not just him, but with this practice, because um, I probably have a tendency and had a tendency to react verbally, and to, um, that would mean that it would be unskillful a lot of time. So the other part that I didn't talk about, but I'll mention, is that the re- one of the reasons, we didn't talk about the election, but that's good. Um, <laughs> good enough. Um, there's something called internal speech. So what we say on the outside is really a reflection of what's on the inside with our thoughts. So thoughts are actually, um, you can divide thoughts into verbal, the verbal narrative, the little voice you hear going, and um, visual imagery. Kind of, you, you may not be aware that you're thinking in images. Some people are quite aware of it. It's something that you can learn to notice and pay attention to. So this verbal narrative is going on. Sometimes I like to call it, it's the judge on my shoulder, making commentary about everything how I like people, how are they dressed, how tall are they, are, you know, some, there's every comment possible, judgments, criticisms, appreciations, everything. That verbal narrative goes a lot. Has anybody noticed that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <clears throat> I don't know anyone yet who hasn't, <laughs> hasn't admitted to it, but there are people who just have visual thinking. And they may not have the same situation. Most of us have a combination. So what do we do about that? I think these same rules that we talked about for wise speech being helpful, timely, true, said kindly, and from the intention of loving kindness, apply to us too. Apply to our internal speech, what we say to ourselves. Sometimes we say the harshest, meanest, most critical, most judgmental things to ourself. And you would never speak that way to another person. And this is where kindness comes in. Kindness and patience and forbearance for all the ways we don't measure up or we think we don't. 
but start listening to that voice. You don't have to believe all of the content. It's totally not believable. Who knows where, where it all comes from? You don't have to believe it. So maybe it's, you can just at least say, not now, it's not timely. Or it's not beneficial. It's true, you really can do that. It's not helpful. Not helpful for me to say this about myself. And it's not true either. So the idea of listening to this inner voice is to see how ubiquitous it is. And um, not to judge ourselves harshly for having it going all the time or for what it says, just to see it, to know it, to hear it, and to not buy into it. You don't have to believe it. And the other thing about that inner voice is it doesn't actually go all the time. Just like as I'm speaking, there are gaps, pauses. It's true with your internal speech, too. But if you pay attention to what's going on inside, it's going to help how you speak on the outside. It's like the concept of metta. You have to give it to yourself first before you can really give it to others. That's one way of working with it. Start listening to what you say to yourself about yourself. And if you do that, you may notice sometime there's a change. All of a sudden, you've said something. Oh, it's okay. Or, that wasn't so bad. Or maybe even something more supportive than that. So hear those things, hear that too. And, and recognize that as a really positive change, if you're one like me who has that little critic sitting right there. So, this is, as I said in the beginning, the contemplation of wise, skillful speech that's aligned with freedom, that's aligned with liberation, has been one of the most useful practices for me. Just incredibly important. And so I encourage you, if you want to take this on, to do it. As long as we're all going to be speaking we might as well examine it and reflect. And I hope that you will find a sense of freedom as you practice it. Thank you. <laughs>